Welcome to Nobody Asked for This, a diet culture takedown. I'm Kendra. And I'm Megan. And we're your your co-pilots for the movement of diet culture takedown. Please fasten your seatbelts if you need a seatbelt extender. <laughs> yes. Uh, we will happily bring one skipping down or, the aisle to you. What if in this fat-friendly airline... You don't need them. Are extended. (laughs) That's what I should have said. Yes, yes. And there are no limits to snacks or Mm -mm. beverages. Mm -mm. And there's no such thing as first class or business Mm -mm. or economy. The whole plane is first class, baby. Yeah. And the seats are wide and deep. And you don't have to, like, I don't know, shove your crap under the seat in front of you. Everybody gets two seats. Everybody gets two seats. And if someone in front of you is draping their hair over the back of their seat. (laughs) Forgot about that. Then you let us know. We'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, we will. Um, I am really feeling planes because I was on one for the first time in, um, I don't know, um, 12 years. No, not 12 years, but you know, COVID feels like forever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I used to fly all the time. And, um, yeah, only on, on one plane, I needed to ask for a seatbelt extender Okay, and I just did it with all the confidence in the goddamn yes, world. Ma'am. Uh-huh. Um, excuse me. I'm going to need a seatbelt extender. Thank you. <laughs> and then I went, would you like it back on my way off the plane and handed it right back to her. Um, but yeah, so, okay, here we go. Y'all, this episode is packed to the brim. Our early our early listeners, the OGs, yeah, are going to remember that we did a segment called Movement as, <laughs> as often as we possibly could. For and about then, five episodes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then ran out of stuff to talk about. And so um, what is going to be a real fun treat is that in this episode, we talk about movement again. We're bringing it back. We're bringing Yay. it back. And it's really good because it's around PCOS and this whole episode cool. with Kimmy Singh, who is mm. just, Kimmy is so concise to the point where at some point Megan in this episode says, <laughs> just a little snake peek. I'm not even sure how to respond because you've just said everything so wonderfully. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just it so was like, like we, we weren't really needed. <laughs> yeah, we weren't. We could have just been like, like sent her the questions and let her just do her thing. Um, as someone who doesn't have PCOS, I learned so much and there's so many great resources in the description of this episode and that we talk about. So please be sure to check those out for further learning. I, y'all are really going to enjoy this episode. Um, but before we dive into it, there's one little piece of business we have to address. (sighs) I guess we don't have to address, but we feel responsible to address. And that is that, um, one of the things that Megan and I have always strived to do with this community and with any of our guests that we have on the episode is to vet them to the best of our ability and make sure that their values align with our values and the work that we're trying to do, um, with you all here on, in this community. And we really feel a responsibility to protect this community um, from any harm. So with that, we wanted to let you know that we have removed an episode from mm-hmm. our feed uh, after some events that have unfolded over the last several months. We just realized that this guest at this point does not align with our values. And that's about all we're going to say about it, because the yeah. hope is 
that we'll be able to put it back up someday because it's good. Um, and we just feel, uh, again, like we will always be looking forward and back to do better. And we just felt like we needed to let you know that we're always trying to do our due diligence and, um, and do what we can to protect this community. Yeah. And all I'm going to say is no new thins where your fat friends at just a little parody of a Drake lyric. That was thins, no. not friends. Mm-hmm. No new thins. Mm-hmm. Are you fat friends out? Fuck a fake friend. All right, but Kimmy, Kimmy aligns like none other with our values. And we really can't wait for you to hear this episode. In this episode, we're discussing medical weight discrimination, which can be a hard topic to hear about as it is a reality in our world. So take good care as you're listening. You'll hear a lot of medical talk in general, including things like doctors not believing patients that live in bigger bodies, not taking symptoms as seriously. So if you've experienced that and it's a trigger for you, um, take care as you're listening. And as always, this is a educational and informational and entertainment podcast so you know go see go see a therapist if you want to talk to somebody and try to find a weight neutral doctor for medical advice and 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 also listen to kimmy sing she's legit y'all here we go enjoy here we are for an interview that i'm so excited about genuinely with kimmy Singh, who is a registered dietitian and guess what guys She's body positive. That's right. And guess what else? She specializes. Thank you. (laughs) She specializes in PCOS, which is something that I have. And I cannot wait to learn more about it because a lot of people, dietitians, uh, doctors, et cetera, their first recommendation for PCOS is weight loss. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm so excited to have this conversation. Kimmy, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah, very excited for this. And yeah, excited to talk about PCOS and why it doesn't have to be something about weight loss. Yes. Kimmy, will you tell us your pronouns? Yeah, so my pronouns are she, her, hers. Awesome. And what is your preferred size descriptor? Yeah, so I am super fat. Yeah, and I'm super in general. Just yes, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. You know what you said that, and what song started playing in my head was, um, but with super fat in it was super fat, super fat, yeah, super freak guy. Do you know that song? That's like a '70s. Um, song. But but super it's freak? not. What is freak? Yeah, it's super yeah. freak. Yeah, I love it. We're gonna co-op. Uh, that should be our next parody, Kendra, for it sure. Sounds- like definitely one to go on the list. Tell us a little bit about your background and why you got into this field. Uh, so I was studying physics. Like that's where my background is in. In my undergrad degrees in physics. Physics? Was, mm-hmm, yeah. Damn. And I was okay. planning on sort of going down that road career-wise. And then after I finished, um, it was that, yeah, it was sort of my PCOS was actually having this major flare-up like halfway through this program. So when I finished my undergraduate degree, I was struggling with my PCOS and I was also really struggling with an eating disorder that I didn't know I had. Mm. They didn't know that fat people have eating disorders. Mm. Think. 
And so then after starting treatment, I realized I really want to help people learn about intuitive eating, learn that there's another way. And so I like finished yeah, grad school, studied nutrition, and that's sort of what brought me to where I am today. <laughs> and it's interesting because I was diagnosed with PCOS before I was fat. And when I was diagnosed, literally my doctor said, oh, I think you have this thing called PCOS. You may have trouble conceiving. I'll have the nurse bring you a pamphlet and walked outside, like left the room. And it was all like one quick sentence at the end of my appointment. And that was all the information I had. And so it felt really confusing because when I looked up the symptoms, the only one I really connected to was the facial hair, but I'm also Indian, which is so facial hair is a thing culturally. So yeah, I just, I was like, do I really have it? I don't even know. Like, does it really affect anything else? I was 19. I wasn't worried about fertility at that age. Um, yeah, so it was really confusing. So then a few years later, so when things were feeling really out of control, that's when I realized like, oh, these symptoms are really here. And yeah, it just, and I felt like there wasn't support around what metabolic changes may happen throughout your 20s. Like now I know there are so many people with PCOS in their early 20s. They have so many changes in their PCOS experience. And I, yeah, I wish I knew that then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you define and tell us what PCOS stands for and what it is? Yeah, so PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and essentially it's a hormonal disorder, and it's characterized by having two out of at least two out of three symptoms. And so these three symptoms are irregular periods and struggles with ovulation. The second one is cysts on the ovaries, and the third one is having higher um, androgens, which are different types of hormones. One of the most significant ones you probably know of is testosterone. Okay. okay. And so just to sort of back it up and try to break it down, like although PCOS in the name, it says polycystic ovaries, you don't actually have to have cysts on your ovaries to have PCOS, which is really confusing. So out of those three things I named, you need to have just at least two. So you could just have the irregular periods and higher levels of androgens. What was the third one? Androgen um, or, or yeah. Yeah. So testosterone is an androgen. Yeah. And then the irregular periods, and then was the third one the cysts? Yep, exactly. Cool, I have all three. Same. <laughs> Air five. <laughs> yeah, that. So, like, if you have all three, that's actually called the classic type of PCOS, and it's the most. That's so sweet. It is. <laughs> You're classic. <laughs> okay, so what are, let's, before we get into our Mythbusters, can we talk about some symptoms that aren't the three classic symptoms? Yeah, definitely. So aside from those three classic, you also sort of have this excess hair in places a lot of people don't want it, depending on what they're going for gender presentation-wise. Mm. So it could be on the face, different parts of the body. Um, there's also a lot of times skin issues, maybe acne, HS. Um, infertility. Is HS hirsutism? Oh, good question. HS is a really long word that I don't know how to pronounce. I think it's like hyperdentist, super something, but it's oh. essentially like, um, yeah, like sort of. Oh, hydrogenitis? Yes, yes, yes. That's, yeah. that's it. I think, well, I think that's it. But so it's boils that sort of grow in areas where you have 
um, glands, certain glands throughout your body. So yeah, it's really common and I like to name it because people that experience it oftentimes feel a lot of shame and feel really alone and they don't realize that not only does it happen to other people, but it's, yeah, if you have PCOS, it's pretty common. Um, Yeah. So aside from that, there's also sometimes thinning hair, struggles with fertility. Not sure if I mentioned that. And so other common experiences that I feel like are less oftentimes talked about mm-hmm. is sort of mood disorders, eating disorders, weight cycling, low energy and fatigue, this overall sense of heaviness in your body that's not related to weight, but actually like other stuff that's going on metabolically. Wow. So movement can be really difficult. Um, also trouble concentrating, sometimes trouble regulating temperature, a uh, run really interesting one is dry eyes. That's a really common symptom. Really? Wow. Yeah. And I'm someone who has a dry eye and I didn't realize that, oh, maybe it's linked by PCOS. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It spans so, so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can be, those are such, con- those things, when I hear them, they're like such common presentations in a lot of those in a variety, for a variety of reasons. So mm-hmm. But are those um, ways it can present outside of the three that you have to have two of the three of, or do you, if you don't have two of the three and you, but you do have like a dry eye mm-hmm. and a couple, you know, um, concentration issues and that kind of thing, could it still be PCOS or you have to have two of the three and then these are just like additional ways that it might present? Yeah, you have to have two out of the three to be diagnosed. And so like in order to fit that diagnosis, you have to have two out of three. But what we find is that a lot of these things are really common experiences amongst people that have it. And it's really confusing, especially for me, who I'm sort of a science nerd. And there are so many unknowns with PCOS. (laughs) So even like with eating disorders and mood disorders, it's hard to know, like, is it really connected to the PCOS process or is it because of more stigma and other issues that people are facing related to their experience. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And then there's also a part of PCOS that like, um, is impo- um, like has a hormonal place in the brain. So that would make sense as to why there could be trouble regulating temperature. Wow. So hypothetically, it's almost like I'm putting together pieces of a puzzle and I don't have all the pieces yet. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like those of us with PCOS can sometimes feel like we have to create our own pieces or try to fill in the missing gaps. Mm. Yeah. Quick personal story. Hydrogenitis, if that is what it's called. We'll find out me if I'm wrong. For sure, me. check it at the end. If yeah. Um, so I was going to a dermatologist because I did have some of that hormonal acne, especially around my mouth. And they put me on this drug called spironolactone, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, trying to decrease some of the androgens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Typically a blood pressure medication, but can be used. In really? This- yeah. I've heard it could be for so many different things. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I mean, prescribed for different things. I uh, had been going to this um, dermatologist for a while and then had an appointment with a different one just by chance. And we were talking about, uh, you know, issues and stuff. And I had mentioned that I had PCOS and I was like, you know, I'd really like to talk to you about something else. And it's something that I had been dealing with for 10 years and had not brought up to a doctor except for maybe one time. 
and it was a boil. I had an armpit boil. I've had them on my groin. I've had them on the armpits. They're extremely painful. And like you said, I was ashamed. I hadn't brought it up because it was like weird to say I've got a boil, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but guys, it affected my quality of life in a big way. Sure. Anyway, so I tell her about this boil and I have her look at it. And she's like, oh, she's like, actually, yours, uh, the good thing is the medicine that you're on, spironolactone, uh, will help to treat that a little bit. She's like, actually, you have something called hydrogenized. And I was like, record scratch. Like what? Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me that I've had this the whole time and I've actually already on a medicine that's prescribed for it. But the focus of my dermatology appointments was the physical things that other people could see my acne. And part of that was on me because I didn't have the knowledge that I needed. But I'm going to say a big part of that was on the doctor. Like, we need, we just don't know enough about this. First of all, people aren't maybe doing the research. I don't know. And then like, no, the that's th- exactly it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The things that are really affecting quality of life, we're ashamed about. And I feel like the doctors aren't really talking about it either. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like so many doctors don't even recognize how many of these things occur in so many people with PCOS. Mm. And so instead of asking like, hey, are you also having boils or asking some more particularly leading questions, it just ends up being this secret that people don't know they have until they hear this episode. Yes. Yeah. Here it all is. Also, okay, so you just said regulating temperature. Is Mm -hmm. this the reason I'm always sweating? Yeah, maybe. Like I, I sweat a lot too. And this is something where like it's not really studied, but so many folks I know with PCOS they have that experience. And I'm someone who, when I get cold, it's really, it takes a really long time for me to warm up. And when I'm hot, it takes a really long time yeah. for me to cool down. And it's just such a common experience with almost all of the folks I know with PCOS. Wow. Had no idea. And I just want to piggyback and say that it absolutely, you know, one of the, I think the biggest reason we don't know any enough to, that we're just guessing often about when it comes to um, to things like PCOS is because it's none of it's fund the research isn't funded mm-hmm. because you know exactly no one cares about yeah women you know, reproductive yeah <laughs> yeah and it's really harmful feet, and I yeah. feel like the most attention it gets is when it's discussed in the realm of fertility yeah mm-hmm. and something that's ooh it pisses me off so much I think. There was a doctor or a researcher in Australia who suggested, let's not tell people with PCOS that they have it unless they're interested in getting pregnant because it's just <gasps> going to stress them out. They're going to Google stuff online. Like It was just like this whole BS spiel that they put out there. And so I'm going to have to send you the link to the rebuttal that I wrote because yes. I was mad. I'm still mad when I think about it. And it's, it's Me so too. absurd because it sort of goes back to this idea of like women and femmes like only being valued by their fertility yes. Yes. and their ability to reproduce. And so I feel like that's such a big driver for when there is research, it's around that motivation and not recognition for how it affects the overall quality of life. You know I, that if PCOS was something that um, people with penises had to deal with, mm-hmm. <laughs> we oh my would God, know everything sorry. we needed to know about PCOS. Yeah. Exactly. Kimmy, I'm so, so grateful that you just said that because I'm someone that isn't concerned with my fertility right now, probably won't 
be. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I often feel like uh, maybe I'm taken less seriously at a doctor's appointment because I just want to talk about my quality of life instead of my ability to conceive or give birth. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think doctors also like, they just don't realize how much PCOS, PCOS affects so many other areas. And they just sort of see it as um, almost like this cause and effect model where they're like, oh, PCOS fertility. And they don't realize that there's really all these other arrows coming out of PCOS. And there are so many other issues at hand. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense without the visual, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it yeah, totally did. Sense, yeah. Yeah. Should we get into our Mythbusters? Oh my word, I can't wait. Yes, I am ready. (laughs) All right. So we are going to dive into one of our favorite things to do, which is a myth buster. PCOS edition. (laughs) Ding. Okay. So (laughs) our first myth buster is low carb slash veganism is a good management plan for PCOS. False. That is a myth. (laughs) So where do I even begin? Um, Yeah, so it's really common that with PCOS, folks are really having trouble getting those carbs, like getting, getting it where they need. So they're having lower energy levels. They're feeling like movement's really difficult. It really affects their overall quality of life. And so reducing carbs when your body's already struggling to best utilize them leaves people feeling more depleted. It's also really unsustainable because it's uh, another really common PCOS experience, which I linked to maybe like having this struggle around carbs, is having really intensified carb cravings. It's so a low-carb diet on someone with PCOS, I feel like there is a really primal response in everyone, low-carb diets across the board. And I think with PCOS, it's amplified just a bit. And so I don't recommend it. Um, one of the things I mentioned, weight cycling, that happens with PCOS is often started by someone who decides to do a low-carb diet because their doctor unfortunately recommended it to them because they didn't realize how harmful it is. I've had that recommended so many times. Yeah. And so veganism, um, it's really interesting because it's not supported by research to support PCOS, but there is like this one study that try to suggest that lower dairy intake could be supportive of PCOS. But even in this study, people were having like multiple servings of dairy per day. And so it sort of averaged out to what a lot of people have. And so it wasn't showing that having a vegan diet was supportive of PCOS. And it also wasn't something that was replicated that we really have clear answer about. But what I do find is that dairy sources of protein are oftentimes really quick and easy ways that my clients can get more protein and fat in their day that help them really feel satisfied and also feeling energized. And so I'm so happy that they have that option. Yeah. Um, that being said, another issue with PCOS is that people have um, more trouble keeping omega-3s at the level they should be. So if you're following a vegan diet, and you're not getting like omega-3s from animal sources, that could make it even harder. Mm-hmm. And then if you also don't have other animal sources of protein outside of dairy, um, your protein options just become far more limited. I know that some folks choose to have a vegan lifestyle for ethical reasons and for um, sustainability. And for those folks, I completely respect and honor their decisions. I think it's just really important to name that 
first, it doesn't have to be black and white. You can have more plant-based foods that help you feel great without making it something that feels very rigid and not necessarily supportive to a healthy relationship with food. I also think it's really harmful to press these ideas on other folks, um, especially because someone has eating disorder history. It's really a traumatic, it's this traumatic experience that they've had around food. And yeah, and even those that don't, like people are kind of tired of being told what to do and what not to do. Well, thank you for that response based in evidence. (laughs) And we'll move on to myth number two. Only women have PCOS. People that have ovaries have PCOS. And this may be confusing if someone doesn't understand that, like you can be trans and exist in the world. And I understand that. And also it's really important that we make healthcare more inclusive and we change the conversation about PCOS. So that's why I, yeah, I try not to use the word women around PCOS. I try to say people with PCOS because Mm -hmm. it also includes folks that are trans who don't identify as women. I, I one like if you're someone PCOS and you or you have a PCOS community, I really recommend you stop using the word sisters like C Y S T sisters. Ooh, yeah, I think like it, you know it was originally this thing done to cultivate like fun, haha, sis community. But um, yeah, it's so exclusive. Yeah, and um, yeah. That being said, like I know I've come a long way. I used to say women all the time and not realize mm-hmm. how harmful it was. So right. if that's something you're struggling with, I totally encourage you to learn more. It could be um, cistblings. Cis- mm-hmm. It really rolls off the tongue, Kendra. <laughs> yeah, it's inclusive, I guess. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a group that is uh, left out of the conversation and the research and the everything mm-hmm. time and time again. So let's be better. Myth number three. You cannot intuitively eat to manage PCOS. Oh my gosh, this is so false. I can't even stand it. <laughs> no, what a myth. Um, yeah, this is a really common misconception that you can't have all different foods and it's going to harm your PCOS. But in reality, intuitive eating is the best way to learn more about your PCOS and your body. Ooh. Um, Although there are these common symptoms and experiences that I mentioned, it's still really individualized. So, how one person responds to a particular type of protein or type of food, whether it's in their energy levels or their PCOS symptoms, is going to be really different from someone else. Um, so yeah, I think that intuitive eating is a nice way to know how to best support your overall quality of life by better learning how to have satisfaction, pleasure, and also just like great nourishment around food that doesn't feel restricted and also is preventative from developing an eating disorder. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost like can't think of anything to respond to what you say with because <laughs> it's so well said. I wonder what is it like, what's the explanation for people saying you can't intuitive to me? I'm like, that's a no brainer. It's like even more reason to be intuitive in your eating. So what's the other side? What's the argument to say, this is why you can't intuitively eat? A big part of it goes back to this sell on the low carb idea and like a poor understanding of the real outcomes of a low carb diet for PCOS. Okay. And so it goes back to this really, yeah, like I said, this just a misunderstanding of what that really happens when someone does that. Okay. Yeah. And here we are at myth number four. This is maybe my favorite slash least favorite one. And it is your behaviors can cause PCOS. 
Nope, not true at all. So behaviors do not cause PCOS. You cannot cause your PCOS. PCOS is linked to a couple of factors, one being genetic, you can get it on either side of the family, and then the other being environmental, not in terms of behaviors, but literally the environment. So we suspect that changes in agriculture over time, exposure to certain industrial components, some geographic locations, um, maybe even changes in the water system may affect like the likelihood of developing PCOS in those who do not have the genetic component, but it's really not well understood. I think that because PCOS occurs with fatness, like sometimes that's a big reason why people are really quick to assume that there is something to blame there. It's more, I think it's more so about the stereotype related to fatness. I think you're exactly right. I think it's rooted in fat phobia because we believe that we cause our health, our, our behaviors cause fatness mm-hmm. or it's somehow our faults, which like, first of all, being fat, like there's no, there's no fault there, but that's another conversation. But mm-hmm. yeah, I believed for, I mean, maybe up until like this year that it was my size that caused me to have PCOS and it's not true. And then I read something about how like it, it's even like present in the womb. Yeah, it's interesting because I've heard that there is a theory related to like maybe something, a change in the brain that occurs like before someone is born that may affect the development of PCOS. But it's one of those like, yeah, it's another theory that's still being studied. That that to me is like just freedom. Knowing you can't imagine if you don't have it and you aren't fat, what that belief does to yourself, Mm -hmm. thinking that you've caused this thing that's really affecting your life in a negative way, mm-hmm. or, you know, you have to manage and think about daily. Mm-hmm. That's a really big, no pun intended weight. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just think that, that it's so important for people to know you cannot cause it. If you're listening and you have PCOS, it's not your fault. We've kind of already talked about this fifth one, but let's, let's just dive in a little deeper anyways. Mm-hmm. Myth number five People with PCOS have a certain body type. No, not true. (laughs) Yeah, as I mentioned, there are different, I think I mentioned there are different types of PCOS. And so the different, different types are broken up into which of those three criteria you experience. So it could be all three and then like two of each, if that makes sense. And so, like I said, the most common is all three. And so that is most likely to be associated with having a larger body and having more weight around the midsection. And so then um, I can't remember which type is more associated with lean type is PCOS, but there are people with PCOS that are not fat. And I think it makes, it sort of amps up the fat phobia around care because it's, Mm. and doctors like, okay, well, this other person's PCOS is not fat. So we can't link size to PCOS but there is actually a link to certain hormones and how they affect weight. And that being said, like, I don't think PCOS or anything else, like we don't need a justifier for being fat. That's not the case. Right. But I think it also, it just makes it really hard to believe like when people are under eating and they're being told, well, you're getting weight, you can't be under eating. I don't know if that makes sense, but yes. Yeah. So like you go into a doctor's office and they tell you basically like you you can't have an eating disorder you can't be under eating because of your size exactly because and they don't understand the link between PCOS and weight but because there are some people that have PCOS that are thinner 
And so I feel like they use it to say, oh, it's not a valid reason for like use gaining weight if you're not eating. There are different PCOS experiences. And it's so harmful when we just try to throw out this blanket statement. And it makes, yeah, it just kind of goes back to that stereotype of providers not believing fat people. Kimmy, how does your lived experience and your background play into your practice? Oh, gosh. I think... Hmm. The biggest part of it is really being able to be present with your body while you have chronic illness. And so as a provider with a chronic illness, it's tough because you really, you know, part of my work is showing up and supporting folks. Hmm. And yeah, it's tough when I'm not physically feeling my best. And it's also a testament to what I tell them to do is really to be with their bodies and have compassion and kindness and gentleness even when my PCOS is really pissing me off or something else is going on. I just had a big light bulb moment. You saying that PCOS is a chronic illness. I'm not sure I'd ever been told that. And also I hadn't ever thought of it in that context. Mm -hmm. And guess how that makes me feel justified. (laughs) Like I feel like it's like, Oh yeah, you feel like shit on some days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to take some meds and like, yeah, you have a, like, take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'm think, glad you said that. Yeah, like this idea that we should just all be functioning at 110% every day and our body should be doing X, Y, and Z no matter what. It's so ableist and it's yes. backwards. As someone who does not have PCOS, what could I do? for the people in my life who do like what is helpful to be supportive and I don't know encouraging or I don't know what is what is the thing that if um I came over to your house and you were having a day that you Mm -hmm. would want me to know or want me to how would you want me to be (laughs) I would want to feel heard and I think one part about PCOS that is tough is having all these other random experiences, you know, not in those basic three symptoms yeah. that affects my day-to-day life. And yeah, I think sometimes people don't realize how much it branches out and affects overall well-being. And so just really trying to be with that person, say, you know, it's a bad day. Not every day is going to be bad. Like, what can I do to support you in this moment? How can it affect your sex life? From what I understand, there are changes in hormonal levels that can affect sex drive, and it can really change over time as hormones change. That being said, I think there's also this really big component related to body image and this idea of femininity and what it means to like quote quote look feminine. Mm-hmm. And so being able to still feel your best if you're having these symptoms that don't align with how you want to present your gender can be really difficult. If you're having, like if you have HS, you don't know how to discuss it with your partner or someone you want to be intimate with, it can be really difficult. And so, yeah, I think it, it just sort of creates so much space for vulnerability and connection, like with someone that's safe. And it can also make it really harmful, you know, with a partner, with someone that's really unsafe. What would you tell someone that wanted a quick conversation with you for Mm -hmm. tips on how to manage that aren't restrictive eating? First, I would say, like, notice your body, notice your symptoms, your unique experience, and don't discount it. Don't say it's just in my head. Don't say, like, I'm being quote, quote, lazy. That's a really common thing I hear. And so from there, like there are, I can send you blog posts that I've written just about um, in general recommendations, mm-hmm. but one is really like getting enough protein throughout the day. 
um, noticing how you're feeling if you add more fiber, add some fat to meals and snacks. Um, and know that each food isn't going to affect you, like each person the same way or each type of protein might not affect you in the same way. You mentioned omega-3s. Yes, I do recommend taking omega-3 supplements. Um, I, ha- I wrote a blog post about this. I can send this to you because there's a specific thing to look for on the label, particularly DHA. And so you want to have between 500 to 1,000 milligrams of DHA per day. And then there's another supplement called Ovacetol. I will also send you the blog post on that. And so, um, yeah, it's a great like powder supplement that really helps manage all the PCOS symptoms. It can also like really help with fertility on its own. I take both of those. Thank oh, you, yay. National Nutrition Partners. <laughs> <laughs> You've got this great blog. Tell us where we can find it. Um, yeah, so you can check me out on my website called bodypositivedietitian.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at bodypositive underscore dietitian. Um, I also co-hosted a podcast about PCOS with Julie Duffy Dillon called PCOS and Food Peace Podcast. So I will send you that link and some other specific blogs that I wrote for her when I was her intern. Yes. So good. And we'll definitely have all that linked below. So easy, easy to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, so, so much. I mean, honestly, as somebody who doesn't have PCOS and didn't know really anything about it, except the little bit that Megan has filled me in on, I'm have learned so much and I'm so grateful for your willingness to share, not just your expertise, but your personal experience with it. And I know our listeners are just going to I want to say eat it up. They're going to eat it all up. (laughs) I hope it tastes good. (laughs) And as someone who does have PCOS, I I can't even like process what's just happened. I feel like in a couple hours, I'm probably going to cry about it. Um, But just like, I don't know, to me, this conversation has been relief Mm -hmm. and empowering. So thank you so much. And you've got new language around it that you didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that's just kind of blowing my mind. Like, it's a chronic illness. Take your goddamn self seriously, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> that's another thing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was such a joy to speak with you both. Let's talk about snacks, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the sweet things and the salty that we eat. Let's talk about snacks. Welcome to Snacks, where we talk about the snacks that we like to normalize non-restrictive eating. Today, we are going to talk about movie snacks. Kimmy, what are you into at the movies? Okay, so I really enjoy popcorn with some sort of fizzy drink. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and sometimes I add on some sort of chocolate. I really like this chocolate, the Crunch brand. I think it's like Bunch of Crunch, something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really like that sometimes. Um, I kind of have a funny movie theater snack story. Tell us. <laughs> Back in the day, I think when I was in high school, I brought my own snacks to the movies and I brought like this um, bottle of soda and I accidentally dropped it after <laughs> it was open and it rolled to the front. Since <laughs> <laughs> then, I've been nervous to bring my own snacks to the movies. So oh, you were really? like trying to be covert about it and like sneak them in? Yeah, I, well, I was already like watching the movie when this happened. Like the movie was playing and you could hear it rolling. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's interesting because like years later the office had an episode where like michael scott dropped a bottle of wine when he was watching the show. yes so i'm like oh my gosh did i inspire this moment and then i was like no i'm probably not the only one <laughs> but <laughs> a, narcissistic, a narcissistic moment <laughs> okay but you probably did yeah you probably did, did. No one's that ever going to know an if you just claim scene. that that's you. No one's ever yeah. going to know. Yeah. A girl can dream. I wait, wait a bit. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm really into trying, seeing what I can get into a movie theater with. Like, <laughs> that's like legal. That's food. If you say you're someone who brings like a full on fish dinner into a movie theater, I'm going to okay, be well, so pissed at you. I've never done that, but I have brought Chinese, orange chicken, rice, fried rice. <laughs> this confuses me because I'm like, how does anybody want to have anything other than popcorn while smelling that popcorn? Yes. Well, yeah. Well, if I go to the movies at lunchtime, I don't want, just want, I don't normally want popcorn. Do you so go with like, it hot? Your food's yeah. already hot? Okay. Yeah. I buy it and then go to the theater and Oh, eat it yeah. Get theater. it. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask a little follow-up? Sure. Yeah, I have a lot of follow-up questions. <laughs> so do you like do you go in with Chinese bag like out and yeah. out and showing? Or do you sort of like try to hide that stuff? I usually have the drink out because they don't typically stop you. And I have really? I always take like a big purse and I just have it down in the purse. Nice. You know, and I go. Um <laughs> do you like get out so your I- chopsticks? <laughs> <laughs> In well, the seat? typically I'm at a theater like long before the movie starts. I like to like, I like to watch all the previews. Okay. So by the time I'm done eating, the movie has like, it's like five minutes in to start it. Like it's not far. So I'm not like eat, usually eating throughout the whole movie. Okay. And, and because I'm usually one of the first ones in the theater, if you see I got Chinese out, don't come and sit next to me. Like <laughs> that is a great I'm tactic actually. Um, I have taken five guys into the theater a whole burger and a whole thing of cajun fries with a coke yeah. i have taken watermelon into a theater that i bring our home. pre-cut pre-cut I mean, <laughs> yeah. not like a whole watermelon you take out like a machete oh, and just like no that would be bad to drop on the floor if that would be really bad. <laughs> i do love popcorn out of movie popcorn and a coke that's what i want Nope. Don't give me Pepsi. I want a fountain Coke. That's what I want. And a straw. Okay. Just, I want a straw. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just going to be controversial about it. No, I'm just kidding. And I love a good chocolate salty mix in that most cases. No, in that case, hundred percent. I want the snow caps though. What are those again? I know it. Literally a chocolate morsel like that you bake with, (laughs) with white, tiny dotted candies on the top of them. Is it mint flavored? No. (laughs) Really? Chocolate with a little extra crunch on top. Just imagine like a chocolate chip with crunch. That's literally all it is. Yeah. For like sprinkles. Yeah. I assumed they were mint chocolate. How have you never had them? We're gonna have to fix well, that. Well, you know bit. how I feel. About, like I'm, I'm medium on chocolate. Me too. Are you? Maybe it's because yeah, of movie theaters. Us. Actually, <laughs> that I'm just kidding. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, movie theaters are the few places I really enjoy chocolate, and it's that yeah. sweet and salty mix that I go into. Yes. Other yes. Yeah. Same. What I like to do is to get popcorn, obviously with butter added. Like, oh, I be don't generous. Do butter added. Oh, Kendra. Uh-oh. I'm about to change your life. 
butter added is necessary, then here's another thing you can do. I just, I have had popcorn with butter. It I figure. Not, <laughs> it's <laughs> not my preference. But you don't ask them, you're not like popcorn with butter when you order it. No, they, and they will even ask me, do you want butter? And, and you I say no. Say no. <laughs> yes. And my, for me, like they don't even give me, like I have to put my own butter. I have to do all that work what? myself. Yeah. Get out of New York. All no, right, Manhattan. <laughs> uh, here's what I like to do. Ask for the popcorn. Also, here's a thing that intern, intern Eric is my husband. We call him intern. He actually has a doctorate. It's a thing. We have to get separate popcorn, y'all, because we will fight. Because he eats it like this. He gets it's a handful. He takes about five pieces, stuffs it into his mouth, and at least three of them fall. And I am livid at this point. Okay. How are you wasting all this popcorn? I'm mad that he's wasting it. I'm mad that like it's not readily available to only me. We have to get our separate popcorn. In fact, we have at one time ordered a popcorn. I asked them if we could just have us another bag uh-huh. so that I could split it myself. They wouldn't allow it. I'm not surprised. They know where the moneymaker is. They know. They know. <laughs> Concessions. It's you know um, it's really interesting how like some people will do the single pop and some people would do like the gra- grab and like yeah. Yeah. It's as if he doesn't know when he's going to eat again. <laughs> well, well, maybe he doesn't, Megan. He does. You know, as a dietitian, there's so much to explore here. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't judge it. I should Wait, just but are let you him a, do him. Are you a one kernel? At me? A time? Oh, yeah. me? Both of you. Are you a yeah, one kernel I mean, or I'm a handful? Like, I'm yeah. like a somewhere in between like Maybe I like two. to actually put some in my hand so yeah. like my partner holds the bag and I just like take some from that hand but uh-huh. then both my hands get dirty so I have to get a lot of napkins and yeah napkins are necessary yeah. here's the other thing I like to do I like to get some peanut M&Ms Me t- I like doing this too you know, you know I'm gonna say you're gonna and pour the peanut M's in the bag of popcorn <laughs> and shake it <laughs> <I'm> so shook <laughs> and then you shake it so that you've got layers. Also, that's a good way they don't to all go to the, the butter. They if don't you, all go to the bottom when you shake it because they're so much heavier. It's fine. It, it's okay. fine. It works out well. Okay, great. Yes, they do. Um, <laughs> but something that you can you can actually ask. Okay, if you're at a place where they make you do your own butter, I don't have a tip for that. But you can. I don't usually do this because I'm terrified of being high maintenance. But you can ask them to sort of layer the butter for a more consistent experience. But you know, again, if you have a lot of people behind you in line, I wouldn't suggest that. Um, but also if you really want it, do it. Those people can wait. Yeah. And that's you. That's Kendra. <laughs> like that's what I strive to be. Um, here's the other thing though, y'all. If you want to have a movie theater popcorn experience in your home while you're watching a movie, you can purchase popcorn, quote unquote, butter in a, bottle do you guys already know about this i only learned like a couple years ago make your popcorn i'm still gonna be shocked go ahead it's like an oil almost it's probably (gasps) who knows what what they're allowed to call it legally but it's a butter flavor and you just sort of drip it all over your popcorn and it's great wait what i can't are you sure yeah and totally sure yeah, that's that good. A good surprise. Thank you for Wait, the reaction. I needed. You never answered. Do you okay. are you a one kernel or a handful or what is your what's your popcorn technique? I'm gonna say three tops. 
Okay. Well, that's very. And then I still like to put them in one at a time. I, my whole thing about food, and this would be probably an entire episode's worth of unpacking is that I like for it to last a long time. Uh Part of that has to go with the movie whole thing. Like I, especially if it's going to be scary, like I need that popcorn and those scary moments to just like, Mm. uh, I don't know, distracting us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I am not one that wants to finish my food quickly. I want it to last. Do you know who loves popcorn? Who? Percy, <laughs> my dog. <laughs> and she's telling you about it. She just wants everyone else to know. Yeah. She loves, she loves popcorn. She, loves she really does love popcorn. Something- okay. My popcorn technique. Oh, okay. We're waiting for this moment. Okay. Is at home or at the movie? I only, at the movie. Okay. I only, well, probably also at home. I go to the movie a lot by myself because I don't give a shit. So I just go and do what I want to do and I want to do it. So I'm, I'm typically at the movie by myself with my, you know, bucket of popcorn. Um, if I haven't gotten food at um, McDonald's. The Chinese store. The Chinese, Chinese restaurant. store. I don't like to get all my fingers dirty. I only eat popcorn with one hand. I'm a three finger eater of popcorn. <laughs> Oh, I don't want all my fingers dirty. My partner would have pushed two. Yeah. Really? I can manage two. Two fingers. Two? Yeah. yeah. Now I don't I know how it. you do it. I use both hands. All and in. I, if I want, I'm like, and then I want a little break. I just lick all that goodness off. And then I go back in again later. for <laughs> I have quite a life hack for you. What? Get your Chinese food. Also get your popcorn. Take out your chopsticks. And use them to pick up your popcorn. Next time I'm going to take latex gloves. <laughs> my one left, one left. I'm going to go into the movie theater. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to pull out the one left-handed latex glove in my purse. <laughs> gloves aren't handed, by the way. Yes, they are. No, they aren't. You turn them around. Oh, well, I guess it depends on the Wait, are they? Yeah. No, they're not. Okay. <laughs> this has been snacks. Let's talk about snacks. Okay. When we talk about movement, which we don't do very often because we learned that we quickly ran out of things to talk about. Mm-hmm. What we do like to talk about though is joyful movement and it's different for everyone. And it's different if you have PCOS. Kimmy, how does PCOS affect our movement? It's first, it's really important that your body is feeling like it can move comfortably just with PCOS and having more likelihood of having higher inflammation levels. There could be more pain and stiffness. Um, All of that aside, there is, like I said, sort of that sense of heaviness. So I'd recommend trying to do other things to support your PCOS before jumping into movement if it's feeling physically uncomfortable. Mm. But I would say it's really important not to overexercise for everyone, but especially for PCOS, because it can just sort of cause this increase in a release of stress hormones, which can make PCOS symptoms worse. Um, Yeah, and I find that a lot of people with PCOS really do enjoy high-intensity movement, like as some sort of maybe like around anxiety, or there are different ways it can be beneficial for them to enjoy that movement. That being said, I think it's really important to not have that be the only type of movement you engage in and maybe make some room for things like yoga or gentle walking and things to sort of balance it out so your body isn't feeling like it's at that level all the time when it wants to move. What kind of movement do you enjoy? 
Oh my gosh. I really enjoy yoga and I really like lately it's, it's been winter here in New York. So being outside feels really troublesome. Mm. <laughs> that being said, we've had some nice 40 to 50 degree days. So I've went out for some gentle walks and just, yeah, whatever my body's feeling like it needs the most. This is like not just good advice for people with PCOS. This is just good advice for anyone to be more like aware of not yeah. overdoing exercise, not over-exercising. Yeah. Yeah. That's super good information because for a while I was doing high intensity for like 45 minutes to an hour. And I think I got sort of that, um, I was moralizing it. So I was like, "Mm, I'm working out for a long time. So I'm a good person Mm -hmm. and worth something. Mm -hmm. And obviously we know all that is is BCS, (laughs) BCOS. Okay. I kind of love that. Um, (laughs) bullshit, but yeah, it's really good to know that that can be harmful and, and trigger actually symptoms. And it's, I think it's also, it ties into like wanting to use food as a compensatory, movement as a compensatory mechanism um, or a reason to feel better or like feel different about your self-worth. So then yeah. sometimes when people say, okay, movement makes me feel better. I'm like, is it making you feel better because it's having this physiological effect or is it making you feel better because you think you're compensating for something? Yes. Do you have any ideas about how to decipher the difference? I think it's really important to bring mindfulness in the process and trying to be with your body. I think it's really ableist to, like I said, to be able to expect your body to do particular things on demand. Um, Something I just mentioned the other day in session with a client was like, I wonder like if aliens came down and saw us like doing bicep curls with dumbbells and like, it was just this, you know, people take training so seriously sometimes aliens. I just feel like it would be such an odd thing to see that we put so much value into a particular type of movement. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. Yeah. Like we just, um, yeah, I don't know. We just put so much into it. I think making movement functional and joyful is so important. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's kind of like, yeah, like this thing that is so normalized to us, but it's like, wait, why are we actually doing this? Like, is this bicep curl going to help me lift it, like lift groceries? Maybe it will. And maybe that's functional. Yeah. Like, and at what extent, like, um, is it really about wanting to use it in a functional way or is it about trying to change your physique? Is it about moralizing it where you're feeling better because there's a certain amount you're lifting? Um, I want to circle back for two seconds to what you were saying just before this, which was around like listening and, and not over exercising. I am some, I have not had like a movement practice, we'll call it probably for the last several months, just with like a lot of transition happening, but I'm starting to feel like, okay, I feel like that's something I want again. My body wants to introduce again. And my, what I go to is, okay, what is that hour long go hard class that I'm going to jump right into. And I have to remember that it's important not to do that, not to just go from having no movement to just full on too much movement, but to, to start with something that's that to, I don't know, I guess condition my body better to start with something more, more, uh, that's safer, frankly, for my body and, um, and will fit, fit more comfortably with where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All good things. So we like to move it, but not too much. <laughs> As someone who doesn't experience PCOS, I am just so grateful 
both to Kimmy and to you, Megan, for sharing your experiences um, on this podcast and other places. I learned so much about um, what it means to live with something that isn't known, like there's not a lot known about it. Um, right. And I really loved the moment when you had this like epiphany mm-hmm. realization of, mm-hmm. oh, this is a chronic illness. Yeah. I had never thought of it like that. Yeah. In fact, I was just thinking about this, which we recorded this episode a while, a while, a while ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but over the weekend I was visiting my grandmother and I kept getting really sweaty every time, especially every time we were in the kitchen and we would turn on the oven or something like that. Yeah. And no, you know, visibly sweaty while everybody else was kind of okay. So I kept, you know, doing things like t- opening the window and my dear grandmother who I'm so much like her mm-hmm. kept being like, you know, wanting to help me feel comfortable. Like, well, Megan, what can we turn on the fan? Can we open the window? <laughs> what can we do? But then, you know, in a, in a way that maybe didn't feel as comfortable, like pointing out that I was sweating a lot. Mm. And she was like, I just want to know why you're sweat, why you're sweating so oh. much. <laughs> and, <other> people. <laughs> and I didn't say this. I think maybe I did say like, well, it's because of PCOS probably. Right. Like, yeah. And I, you know, by the way, it would be fine for anyone to sweat. Right. No matter what that's, uh, like your body taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. If you, if you couldn't sweat, that'd be bad. Yeah. But to know that it is a symptom of this thing that I have, that's a chronic illness feels validating Yeah. because I think I'm usually second guessing myself. Like, why am I sweating so much? Mm-hmm. More so yeah. Life-giving conversation. Oh. Epiphany for me, for sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll, uh, I hope y'all are also listening to our mini episodes for the weight on takedown. Um, this third one is uh, coming soon. It's coming soon. So be sure you are subscribed wherever you listen so that as soon as it's live, you know, so you can go listen. Um, and then the next episode from that on the weight on takedown is going to be our special guest. Yes. Been to remnant fellowship. Yes. This upcoming episode, we get into like cult behaviors Mm -hmm. and characteristics of cult leaders and characteristics of cult members Mm -hmm. in a way that I think folks will find really interesting. Yeah, for sure. All right, y'all stay safe, be boundaried, protect yourself, have some fun. Be boundaried. I like that. Bye y'all. Bye.